Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from Exodus 17. I'm going to be reading from verses 8 to 15. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. water bottle. Do you like it? The New Life water bottle. If you're new here and it's your first time, you get, this doesn't apply to the Cape Ray students, does it? Perhaps it does, I don't know. Um, you get, yeah it does, I'm sure it does, go there, okay? I'll take responsibility, okay? If you're new, you get a water bottle, so sign up, yeah, yeah right? <clears throat> yeah, who wants one of these fellas? These are great. And so if you're new here, welcome. There's a few faces here this morning I don't recognize. Uh, if you're new, big welcome to you this morning. Uh, go and sign up, get, our, get registered with the emails, and you get one of these fancy water balls as well. You can take it to school or to work or when you play soccer or whatever, it's there, right? So sign up, it's good. Um, my wife and I, we met in 2006, and we met at a place called Cape and Ray Bible School in the UK. And I remember uh, the first time I glanced at her um, over the, in the dining hall uh, of the Bible School, and I saw my wife, and I knew at that moment that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her that day. I just saw her, and I thought, oh my goodness, she looks so good looking, and she seems to be like such a lovely, uh, godly person, and I want to get to know her, and there was just something that intrigued her, something was like snapped within me, and I thought, that's the, the woman I want to get to know and to spend my life with, and it happened, right? And I honestly believe it was a God moment, and we'd been dating for about a year. She was in Spain, uh, living, she's Spanish, and so I was in England at Bible school, and we would communicate every day, and then she was talking about coming over to England, and to spend, uh, come to the same Bible school as me, uh, and I was, I was really excited that we would be able to spend, like, our lives, spending our lives together, and I wanted to propose. Now, it was only, we'd only been dating a year, and I was at Bible school, and I was a student, and I thought, I'm never going to be able to afford to get married. Marriage is expensive. 
I, I, I thought, how am I going to um, buy a house? You know, how, how are we going to do this? How? And I had all of these questions in my mind. And I thought, I'm not prepared. I'm not, how am I supposed to afford nappies for children? Uh, and all of these questions were going around in my mind. I am not prepared for this moment in my life to marry this person that I, I love and I want to spend my life with. And my Bible principle pulled me aside one day and said, Simon, you will never be prepared for marriage. You've got to just do it. And I was like, okay. So he did. You know, <clears throat> a year later, I got married, and they've been, been great years. They've been great years. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> In life, there are circumstances that come across in our lives that we just aren't prepared for. Are you ever prepared to have children? You know, no. You know, when children arrive, people give you loads of advice, right? They give you all the advice, how to manage children, but you're never prepared for the storm that's going to come onto your life, right? They're a blessing. But, boy, the hard work, and you can never be prepared for that. Or university, you can get all your things in order, but when you get to university, you know, you're never prepared for these situations. Life throws things at us that we can never be prepared for. But we can be prepared in how we respond to those situations. Life throws a whole bunch of surprises at us that we don't expect or are prepared for. For example, you may have gone to the doctors and you get some medical results. They come back and they confirm some, uh, some presence of a grave illness and you walk away in a cold sweat. You're not prepared for that. It's a bit of a surprise. Or financially, some bills come in that you weren't expecting and all of a sudden you find yourself on the doorstep of the food bank. And you think, I wasn't expecting that. Life has a tendency of throwing things at us, surprises that we're not prepared for, but we can be prepared in how we respond to those circumstances. If you have surprises in your life, you might not be alone. You're not alone. And this morning we see a passage where Moses was journeying with his, his people. They leave Egypt and they are encountered with some surprises. Verse 8 tells us in our passage this morning, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. This wasn't what Moses was expecting. The, it says here the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites from Rephidim. The Amalekites, who are the Amalekites? This is interesting. The Amalekites are uh, from uh, the, um, Amalek. And Amalek interestingly, is the descendant um, of Esau. He's the grandson of Esau. And if you don't know who Esau is, Esau uh, was the firstborn of Isaac. So who's Isaac? He's the son of Abraham. So you've got Abraham, and Abraham received all the blessings from God. God said to Abraham, I will make your descendants uh, vast, 
Look at the stars in the sky. Your descendants will be as vast as the stars in the sky and you're going to receive the blessings from God and you're going to be my people and you're going to live in my covenant blessing. This is what he said to Abraham. And then Isaac inherited that. And then his next firstborn son was who? Esau. Esau should have received the blessing of God and his descendants should have been the covenant people. And yet Esau turned his back on the promises of God. He gave all that up for what? For food, for a bowl of soup. He gave all of God's blessing. He turned his back on the blessings of God and said, I'd rather have a bowl of soup. I'd rather my, my belly was full of food than receive the blessing and the presence of God in my life. And so I find this interesting how the Amalekites should have been the people of God. They're the ones that should have been in the desert, leaving Egypt, going to the, the, the promised land. And yet the Amalekites are the ones who are attacking God's people instead. You've got these Amalekites. And I think there's a big lesson. When I read that, because I always I think, if I'm going to, who are the Amalekites? And so you look into it, right? Never just read something in the Bible and think, I don't know what that means, without looking into it. So when, when I read that, I thought, hey, there's a big lesson for us today in our lives. It's a big warning today that we should be following and seeking God's blessing in our lives today. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, accept him today. And you will not be disappointed. We have a big cross on our stage. And we have that because it symbolizes one of the most foundational things in humanity. That Jesus Christ died. And he died because he took all of our sins upon himself. So that we could have that relationship with God once again. That is a blessing. And if you want a relationship with God again, put your trust in Jesus. If you do not know Jesus, put your trust in him today. And if you put your trust in him today, you're going to get full access into heaven. When you die, you're going to get access to heaven. But that's when you have the gospel. That's when you have the blessing that we receive in Jesus. The other half of the blessing is that Christ lives in us. So, if you do know Jesus as your Lord and his Savior, and you do have Jesus Christ living in you, do not take that for granted. Make sure that you spend time with him. What is God doing in your life today? Don't turn our backs on the blessings that God gives us. Eternity and life in Christ. I, I read that, the Malachites, and I was challenged. Never take a day for granted in my relationship with God. So the Amalekites aren't the people of God anymore. They're a warring nation. Literally, these people going around the, the desert area and they just wanted to go and, and, and kill and they want to go and steal and they're going to rob everybody. And that's what they're doing. The Amalekites are coming. It was a curse. In, in Israel, uh, if you wanted to curse somebody, you'd say, oh, you're the son of Amalek. It's a, it's a curse. And so these people are coming. Moses one day looks through the window of his tent and sees this big dust of cloud, you know, coming in the distance. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And I imagine Moses had a bit of a rough journey. 
So he's in Egypt with all the people. You know, for those of you who haven't been following the series, Moses has been commissioned by God to take the people out of Egypt into the promised land. And that's where we are. That's where the people were, uh, the top of Egypt there uh, in the area of Goshen. And so Moses has a year of difficulty, and he takes the people out of Egypt. And then they go to the Red Sea, which is just over here, the crossing. Just here. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. And so Moses takes the people to the Red Sea, and they get to the Red Sea, and there's like a dead end. There's a sea in front of them, and they've got the Egyptians on the other side, and Moses is like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And he prays to God. And everybody's complaining, Moses, you've sent us in the desert to die. And he's having a bit of a hard time, this guy, Moses. And he gets, God opens up the waters and they pass through. And then the people get to this point. And everyone starts complaining to saying, we're in the the Marah and there's no water. Moses, where's all the water? And Moses is like, oh man, again? Okay, God, where's the water? God provides water. And then they continue on the journey to the promised land. And they get to this point here in the desert area of sin. And everyone's like, Moses, there's no food. Where's the food? What does God do? And this is what we looked at last week. God provided manna and quail, bread and, and, and it's like chicken sandwiches. You know, it's awesome. <clears throat> and so they have the food in the desert. And then here's Moses here in the point. The, Amakale, the, the Amalekites attack the Israelites at Rephidim. That's where they are. And, and then people are coming to Moses saying, do you realize there's all these murderers coming towards us? And Moses is like, God, I can only handle one problem a week. You know, like, give me a break. <clears throat> what does Moses do? These people are ready to fight. How does Moses respond? The first thing Moses does is he prays. He prays to God. Verse 9 and 10, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And he goes and he prays. Moses turns to the three people that he trusts the most. He says to Joshua, you go and do what you need to do. And me, her, And Aaron, we're going to go and do what we need to do. We're going to go and pray. And so Joshua goes and fights and Moses goes to pray. So three men climb the nearby mountain. And when they reach the summit, about the same time Joshua reaches the plains where all the people are fighting, Moses is on top of the mountain. What does he do? He doesn't throw rocks at people. He doesn't command Joshua what he has to do. He's, he's delegated that responsibility. He trusts Joshua to do what he needs to do. Moses, he goes to pray. I think there's something really special about that. He goes to pray to God like little children. When they need their parents, he goes and he just, he just lifts his hands like a vulnerable child. I've got uh, two daughters. And my youngest daughter... She is independent. Uh, she is, uh, I, I don't worry about her because I know she's just going to be a strong uh, human being when she's older. Uh, she loves climbing trees 
Uh, she, she wants to have like a, like this afternoon, she wants to have a lemonade business, right? And on her drive, she, she wants to, um, she loves surfing and she's very wild and independent. But I know when she's scared because she's there right next to me, holding my hand. And I see this story here like Moses with God. Moses is scared, I think. And he wants to go to God and just hold his hand. Moses, Aaron, and her raise, literally, he raises his hands to God. Moses saw this bloodthirsty army advancing. He knew Joshua was outnumbered, and there's no way they could win. The people of God aren't even uh, warriors. They're wandering nomads. We, we discovered this the other week, the first week of the series. We saw that in the temple of Celeb, uh, Pharaoh, this is the temple of Celeb here. Pharaoh had these big um, statues, carvings of history. And, and here's one of the, the statues here that we have. And we saw one that was dedicated to the people of God, the Israelites. Uh, here, and if you can read hieroglyphics, you will see clearly um, that it, it makes reference to Yahweh. Yahweh to the, the wandering nomads. That's what it says in hieroglyphics. So we know that these people are wandering nomads, the shepherds. They were slaves just two months ago. They're not warriors. They don't have weapons and abilities to fight. How are they going to fight against the Amalekites? Moses goes and he prays. The thing I love about prayer the thing I love about when we seek God intimately, we want to have a relationship with God. James 4.8 tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. God is always there in our lives. He's always there. But when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. I love it when James says you would, um, in verse chapter 4, verse 8, Let's go back a verse. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. James is there saying, when we are sorry for our sins... When we are literally grieving because of the, uh, we've turned our back on God and we come to God and we want that intimate time, we want that presence with God, then God will come to us. What is God doing in your life right now? Are you spending that intimacy with God when it's just you and Him and God is working in your lives? When we're coming to God with, with, with clean hands and pure hearts, are we seeking that purity in our lives when we just want to be in the presence of God, just us and him like, like children and just experience God in wonderful ways? And when we do, we see amazing things happen. Chris Ostom, um, uh, an old theologian, says the potency of, of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions. It has hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, 
burst the chains of death, assuaged diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its cause, and arrested the progress of a thunderbolt. Prayer is the root, the fountain, and the mother of a thousand blessings. And I agree with him. How can you disagree? And yet, why do we find it so hard to pray? Meeting with God in prayer is powerful. I've seen, I can testify how God has met some of my, my prayer needs when I thought the end was impossible. Prayer can handle any kind of difficulty, dilemma, or discouragement. I've seen it restore broken or even breaking marriages. I've seen God meet financial needs through prayer. I've seen people healed in prayer. I've seen prayer bring peace which transcends all human understanding. I pray every day for each and every one of you. Well, not every one of you. I don't know you all yet. But I'm trying. My list is growing. I pray every day for my football team, the Steelheads. Steelheads! <laughs> prayer changes lives. So Moses, what's the first thing he does when difficulty happens, when a surprise comes along? He goes and he prays. The second thing, interestingly, is that I believe Moses trusts in God. Verse 4 tells us, uh, no, verse, verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, come choose some of your men and go and fight the Am Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of my God in my hands. The staff uh, for a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd for 40 years. The staff was his protection. It was his livelihood. It was his everything. For, for a, a shepherd to have a staff, it was to protect him from wild beasts. It was to protect his animals. And yet when Moses met with God at the burning, um, at the burning bush, uh, in Exodus 4 verse 2, it says, the Lord said to him, what's in your hand, Moses? A staff, he replied. He says, give it to me, put it down. That staff was his livelihood, was everything to Moses. And Moses, give it to God. And God, what does he do? He gives it back to Moses, but it's no longer his staff. It's the staff of God. Do we trust in God in our own lives? What are we holding on to that we need to give over to God? But you know what? God gives it back and says, hey, use that in my service for you. Moses prayed. Moses trusted in God. And he had to. I explained some of those situations. I don't think I can handle one of them. He handled so much. If we want to keep our lives, we will lose it. But if we give it to God we will gain so much more. But I also think our position in life makes a big difference. Verse 11, <clears throat> as long as Moses held his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses grew tired, um, his hands grew tired, they, 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 his friends helped him. Our position makes a huge difference. I've always wondered why Moses held his hands in the air. 
Does he have the power to change the, the battle? No, I don't think his hands make any difference at all. But his attitude does. I think there's a direct correlation between Moses meeting with God and the outcome. The position of his hands, I don't think, makes any difference. But his heart and his attitude does. On so many levels, the tide of our life's battles and the battles of the church and our circumstances hinges on the location of our hands spiritually. I'm learning every day of my life that I have to keep holding the hands of God every single day. I've learned the hard way that when my hands are raised and when I'm praying fervently and worshiping expectantly, when my hands, my heart are raised, believing that God loves me and cares about me and cares about my troubles and wants nothing more to help me, I've learned that in those times of fervent prayer, that there's a richness in my relationship with God. There was a sense of his presence and power and authority in my life. But unless I'm meeting with God and drawing close with God and, and cultivating that life of Christ in me, that power and that authority is absent in my life. It's got nothing to do about me. I'm an empty vessel for God. And it's God who works in and through me. But that only works when I'm praying and drawn close to God. <clears throat> I could testify about my own nightmare scenarios and prayer showed me a way when there was no other way. Times when I faced terrifying illnesses or pastoral deadlines. Can you remember a time in your life when you've come across impossible situations or maybe you're going through that now. Can you remember a time when you learned the importance of keeping your hands up to God and God doing incredible things in your life? We want to increase prayer as a church. Prayer is the beating heart of a fellowship. And there's two initiatives that we're starting. Prayer breakfast on a Wednesday morning, 6.30. Come and join us for breakfast. You need to eat. Come have breakfast with us. We have porridge and um, I can't promise every week, but there was like yummy muffins, uh, Wednesday gone, and coffee, pray together, we eat together, go to work. What a great, great way to start the day. If you're free, Wednesday mornings at 6.30, come join us for prayer, and you, and you can leave with a full belly. And the second thing that we want to do, Megan and her team want to meet once a month for, on a Sunday night in the new year for prayer and worship, where we just come and we just pray and we just worship God and that's it, right? I want to just say thank you to Megan and her team, the worship team. They do such a good job. Can we give them a round of applause, please? Thank you, guys. We are blessed here in New Life Church. Thank you, Megan, for all that you're doing. Prayer and worship is so, expect so, so beautiful. And what makes prayer and worship awesome is the object of our prayer and worship. We're coming before God. I love it. I love worshiping in a big group. I love the fact that we have two services. I can do it twice, okay? I can, I can sing the same songs twice. It's amazing. I don't like listening to the sermons twice, though. Like, he's a bit boring, the preacher. Uh, but it's good that we can meet with God. 
I love it in a big group, but I also love it when it's just one-to-one, me and God. And I have that intimacy with God. In my life, I don't want to just talk about God, but I want to experience the presence of God. And I hope you feel the same. And it would seem that whatever bittersweet situation Moses is going through, crossing the Red Sea, he's literally having a conversation with God before God all passed it open. Or when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, Moses has literally gone away for 40 days to speak with God. Who does that? Moses brings the whole people of the assembly to the mountain of Sinai. And they're they're just everybody, a million people are at the front of the mountain, just worshiping God. And the presence of God comes down on the mountain. And everybody's just there in awe and worship, just worshiping God. Or when we see later on in 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 the passage, we see that Moses meet every day with God in the tent and the presence of God. That, that Shagina uh, glory just comes down upon the tent and there's just him and God. And everybody stands at the front of the tent looking at the presence of God and they're just in prayer and worship and awe of God. And I, and I ask myself, how have we as a people of God gone from that to where we are today, where I have to like, literally beg people to come to church, come to church on time, bring your Bible, let's, let's read our Bibles together. Now I love New Life's heart. I love the fact that you want to study the Bible. I think we're, we're fortunate here as a church, but I hope we can grow in our prayer time. The beauty of accepting Jesus Christ in our lives is that he has allowed us into the presence of God in our life today. We all have access to God, to his throne of grace in our lives. And that's such a wonderful blessing. Let's not make it a common time. Let's not make it a burden. God doesn't beg us to spend time in his presence. It is such a wonderful privilege to be able to come into the holy presence of God. So when impossible situations crop up, my encouragement is this. Let's not panic. Let's not worry. Let's stop. And as Moses, let's just spend time in prayer. But the good thing is, the beautiful thing is that we don't do it alone. When Moses, verse 12, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands, one on his side, one uh, on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. All day, Moses is with his buddies, and they're just sharing life together. Isn't that wonderful? This is church. Amen. I love it. I can hold my fancy new life water bottle like this, right? And because I'm like super strong, it's quite easy for me, right? I can hold it for, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute, an hour. I don't know. Three hours. Yeah, why not? Okay. I can hold it. I agree. But after a time, 
after three hours, my arm's going to get pretty, I was getting tired now, actually, you know, <laughs> it's only been 15 seconds, it's going to get tired, my arm's getting tired, three hours, my arm's going to get numb, after a day, it's going to get pretty heavy, I'm going to be in agony holding this water bottle, I can't do it, and it's the same with our burdens, if we're carrying our burdens by ourselves, you can manage for a time. It's going to get heavier and heavier, and it's going to weigh you down. And this is church. Moses didn't do it alone. He went up there with her and Aaron. Church is a family where we can carry burdens together. We can pray with each other. We're a community. I love New Life Church. We do so much life together. We're able to have men's afternoons and women's retreats and, you know, we have like hog roast meals and it's just, it's beautiful. Worship sessions. Let's continue living life as a community. Just getting to know each other, praying for each other. Keep carrying one another's burdens. But we can also offload our burdens to God. God is there listening. I can't help but think of Jesus Christ when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's about to die on the cross and he knew that he was going to take the sin of the whole world upon himself. And he's in agony and he's with prayer and he says to Peter, to John, uh, and he says, come along. Come join me in the garden. Please pray with me. Even Jesus, he needed that companionship, right? What did they do? They fell asleep, right? Pretty hopeless friends. I hope I don't fall asleep when I'm praying for you. But listen, we must never forget that prayer burdens require arm bearers. If you have a burden, share it with a friend. Every Christ follower eventually learns what to do when their arms get weak and tired and they don't do it alone, they do it together. Share one another's burdens. They humbly reach out and get a few brothers and sisters and say, can you please hold my arms for a while? Don't be scared to ask for help. Don't be scared to ask for prayer. We do it together. Conclusion, as end. My conclusion is this. When troubles came, when surprises came in Moses' life, he did two things. He went to pray, and then he sent Joshua to do the practicalities. How do you respond in life when challenges come? Do you panic? Do you fight? Do you run away? Do you respond? Or do you pray? Or do you somehow do both? Understanding that we have friends and family in the church who can carry our burdens together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that when we approach you, when we come drawn, drawn near to you, Lord, with, with clean hands and pure hearts, when we seek you with all of our heart, Lord, you are there and you, you draw close to us and that you're never far away from us, Lord. I thank you that we can always approach you when surprises in life come along, when, when trouble comes. You are there. And I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that we continue just to have that um, knee-jerk reaction of coming to you first and foremost when problems do come. I thank you for my family here in New Life. 
I thank you that we can continue growing together. And I pray, Lord, as the months and years um, move on, that we continue to grow, Lord, in all areas of life, in our big worship, in our, in our, in our small gatherings, in our fellowship groups, that we keep growing in Christ and we keep growing in fellowship and love for one another. We love you, Lord, so much. If there's anybody here, Lord, who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior today, who doesn't know what it means to have that life of Christ in them, I pray that you convict their hearts this day. We pray these things in your wonderful, glorious name, Lord. Amen.